Hello, family. Welcome back to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno, and today I'm joined by my dear friend, Adam Dince. And Adam was a speaker at our most recent IONS conference in Washington, D.C., and he talked about his book, Back to the Beyond. Uh, it's a book about near-death experiences. Adam is a hypnotherapist. He's a healer. He's just a cool guy. <laughs> and I'm really grateful to have him be part of my experience and my life and how closely we've been able to collaborate with IONS as well. So um, Adam and I have worked together in the past. So I'm going to yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your book first so that you can give the audience an idea of what you spent a large portion of time working on and how you kind of came into the near-death realm. And I'm going to toss it over to you to talk about that, and then we're going to get into a conversation. Yeah, well, uh, Betty, thank you so much for having me on uh, this morning or today, whenever anyone's watching this. So uh, it's an honor to be here. And, um, you know, Back to the Beyond was was sort of a um, – it was this idea I had in my car. It was really weird. But, um, you know, Betty, I think you and I, it, it, one of the things we share in common is that grief and loss played such a big part of our spiritual journey. Uh, and what almost seemed as unbearable um, grief and pain, you know, that seed turned into this beautiful flower, this beautiful um, rose. And, and you know <clears> – <throat> One of the things that really helped me learn to deal and cope with my dad's passing. So I'll just share a little bit. My dad uh, was a, a single father. He raised me by himself. Um, my mother was, uh, you know, she had her challenges in life and she's doing wonderful now. But my dad stepped in when he had to and, and um, you know, took me under his wing. And, and he was really the only parent I, I knew as a parent for most of my uh, uh, young life. Uh, until I was say nineteen when I joined the navy and and left and <laughs> and uh, and and for the higher seas they would say but um, and so when my dad died it was basically like I lost my entire foundation my entire safety net you know um, I mean even at my age now there are days that are hard where it's like I wish I could call my dad and just you know get his advice and so uh, with that said you know after my dad passed I went on this journey you know, to figure out what happens to us after our physical body dies, because, you know, my traditional belief system was very westernized, you know, um, I converted to Christianity at 16 or 17. And, um, you know, my mom and dad are both Jewish. I, you know, uh, I'm a spiritual hippy dippy, I don't really identify with any uh, religion or faith in that in that regard. But, you know, uh, but my belief system was that my dad who, you know, was more of an atheist than anything was burning in hell somewhere because he hadn't accepted Jesus Christ. And I couldn't live with that. Like I couldn't, that was a thought that just could, did not resonate in any part of my body because he was such a good human being who just gave up his whole life for me. Just like in the Bible, you know, Jesus gave his life for his children. My dad gave his life for me. So I didn't see why my dad needed to go to hell and Jesus, you know, uh, anyway, with that said, no, no offense, please, uh, by any, no offense to anyone listening. I just did not resonate with me. I did not believe that that's not part of my belief system. If it's part of yours, I understand completely and honor that. Uh, and, and I, I wish you the best on your journey. And, and, um, anyway, that said, I went on this, on this path of trying to figure out, okay, well, if, 
if our souls don't go to heaven or hell or whatever, what happens to us after we die? And I started on this lifelong journey of understanding the mystical side of life. You know, I started learning about out-of-body experiences and mediumship and psychic abilities, all things that I would have just, you know, disregarded because of my traditional belief system. You know, it didn't have space for any of that cool stuff. And I started to read and, and listen to, you know, Coast to Coast AM, which was an awesome show back in the day. It's probably still on, but all they talked about were, you know, shadow people. I'm like, what's a shadow person, you know? <laughs> There's all this cool stuff. And, um, <clears throat> and one of the really cool mystical experiences, one of the things that got my attention immediately were people who had near-death experiences. And, you know, hearing uh, people's accounts of of those experiences were so helpful and so healing for me because they were spoken with such authentic authenticity. And, you know, for the first time since my dad passed, it's like, okay, this this kind of makes sense. This, this really helps. So after reading and, and hearing enough of them, um, I, I started to believe, I started to believe that there was more to life than just this physical body, than what our traditional belief systems taught us. And, um, and so my whole life has been full of spiritually transformative experiences since. And uh, I'm grateful that the universe allowed this, this awakening. And by the way, I don't mean to say that a, a spiritual awakening is about spiritually transformative experiences. You can have plenty of, of STEs and, and not yet, um, come to the point to where you're conscious, you're awakened, uh, or, or I shouldn't even say awakened, no one's fully awakened, we're all always going through the process of constant awakening. But I'm just saying there, there tends to be a conflation sometimes between someone who has very powerful mystical abilities, or spiritual abilities, and somebody who's on the awakened path. And so with that said, <clears throat> yeah, so fast forward a few years down the road, and, uh, you know, I'm a practicing hypnotherapist now and, and uh, past life regressions, taking people back to, back to past life memories, to memories of what happened to them, you know, in between lives. In other words, what happens when the physical body dies and where do you go between that last incarnation and the next incarnation, right? So I had taken people on, on, on journeys and experiences through that, those realms. And I was in my car one day and, uh, you know, my best idea, some people, their best ideas come in the shower, Betty, mine, you know, in the car, uh, say, sit, take it for what you will. But I had this thought like, wow, if I could, if I could, you know, take people back through hypnosis into their uh, past life experiences or past life memories, I should say, or take them back to the memories of what happened to them in between lives, then surely I must be able to take them back to their near death experiences. And so I started Googling and I couldn't find a ton of stuff on it. So I'm like, I'm just going to try this. So I went to a few Facebook groups and talked to a, a few friends. I had a couple friends who uh, had near-death experiences uh, that, you know, and I trusted their accounts uh, just because I knew them, known them for so long. I knew they wouldn't, you know, be making anything up to get attention. In fact, they never really shared their their stories all, all that much. One did, but the rest, not, not so much. Anyway, so I, I ended up getting about seven or eight people to volunteer uh, and I did it for free. And my, the whole goal was to conduct research and say, can I, you know, through hypnosis, take people back to the memories of their near-death experiences? And what I found was most of the people didn't go back to memories of their near-death experience. They sort of went back to the same dimension or realms 
that they visited during their near-death experience, but it was like a brand new visitation. It was a brand new encounter. And, you know, my hope, you know, as a hypnotherapist, for me, it's not about the, the spiritually transformative aspect of hypno. For me, it's about the therapy. You know, I always underline the word therapy whenever I send uh, someone a hypnotherapy message. And my goal with essentially with taking people back to their near-death experiences was to help integrate what these folks had experienced into their lives, you know, and, you know, and the best way to articulate that is, you know, you get someone who has this profound, profound experience, Betty, you know, better than anybody, right? Like, and, and, but you have this extreme trauma first, something happens, right? This really horrible thing happens most of the time. Then you have this near death experience, which most of the time is incredibly beautiful and profound and powerful. You go to a place called home, filled with love and light. I mean, you know, I'm sure most of you listening to this podcast are familiar. But then people come back into their bodies and they have to figure out now, how do I live a life in this with all these problems that I have, with all of this depression, with all of this pain, after I just experienced smarty, after I just experienced oneness after I experienced unconditional love and now I'm back. And this is a really big struggle for a lot of people. And this is why I wanted to be able to offer this type of service. And so um, what was really profound was that these seven or eight people who I had worked with went back to the dimensions realm they visited and had incredibly healing, profound journeys where they were really able to integrate the missing pieces, the things like why did I have to come back and really understand why they had to come back, right? Or what is my purpose in life, right? And to come back with these types of answers and knowledge and knowing, knowingness is, is such a, call it a vitamin, right? It's such a nutrient for our human bodies to be able to move forward in the world. And so with that said, I conducted this research and uh, I thought, wow, this would make a really cool book. And so I asked the participants prior to, you know, uh, facilitating the sessions was if we do these sessions and they work, because I didn't know if it would work, right? It, to me, it was purely an experiment. And I was like, if it works, is it okay in exchange for doing this for free, you know, that I can use your account in a book? And of course, everybody said yes. And so every account that you read about in Back to the Beyond is a story. You'll read the actual account of the person's near-death experience, and you'll get to read verbatim exactly what happened to each person when they went back to the beyond. And it's such a powerful and profound um, set of, of accounts that you know if you're looking for hope, not just in that we go on after this physical body dies, but the fact that you can revisit these dimensions and realms through the power of, of, of your mind, through the power of the, the vibration of your mind, the brainwave, the frequency, right? And so if, if that's all interesting to you, you'll love the book. And it's available on Audible now too. <laughs> so, uh, and we have a brilliant voice actor whose voice is not as high-pitched and squeaky as mine. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Hilarious. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that 
Um, the the content of your book is so fascinating. And especially for our audience, people here are really interested in near-death experiences. So basically, you kind of get a two-for-one because the person describes their near-death experience and then they describe their, their spiritual experience going back in regression with you. And I was lucky enough to do um, this regression with you. And I had the same experience where I didn't go back into my same spiritual experience, the same space, but it most definitely was not this space and it was a whole new experience. So that was really amazing. And yeah, I'm so grateful for that experience. For me, it was extremely healing. It was such a deep layer of healing for me. I felt like I shed a whole version of myself. It took me mm. like weeks to integrate what had ha actually happened. So thank you for what you do um, for the for the collective in general. So before we pressed record, we were talking a little bit about knowingness. And I, I want to get into this conversation because I think that it's really fascinating. So do you want to explain a little bit about how we started talking about it, that you were recently on a podcast and want to share about that? Yes, I will not name the other podcast just because, you know, um, the only podcast right that matters is this one. And so we'll just we'll just focus on this. But Collaboration, <laughs> not competition. Feel free to share. Hey, you know what? IANS, I have so much love for IANS. I've been looking forward to this uh, podcast more than anything. So um, so we'll just, you know, but we, uh, so one of the listeners of this podcast messaged me and we had, we were discussing my book uh, and on the podcast and this woman messaged me and essentially said that uh, uh, someone in her life had passed away and, you know, she had gone to a medium and she'd gotten signs and, you know, a lot of the things that you hear from people, if you go to the Facebook groups where they'll show you a picture and say, I think I see a spirit here. What do you guys think? Right. And it's like, oh, well, that's a flash or something or other. Right. So it's a little dust in, in the lens of the camera. But yeah, so she came and she and she messaged me privately and she's like, Adam, she's like, you know, how do I she's like, what evidence like what do you what can you give me to help me believe that this is all true? Right. I get all these signs. I see all these things. But how do I know it's true? How do I know it's real? And, you know, this is a question I get all the time. And and I love to talk about this topic because I think many of us, Betty, who sit on the other side of 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 that question. You know, where we feel like we've gotten the a lot of the answers we need, we're also asking those questions before right? Like we all had those questions. Like, how do I know that the psych, you know, that like psychic mediums are really connecting with spirits and they're not just making up a story, right? Or how do I know that my near death experience wasn't my brain triggering, you know, subconscious mind triggering this brilliant elaborate story that I call a, a near death experience, right? And you can read every account. You can even read Dr. Evan Alexander's account where he medically, scientifically, you know, uh, uh, speaks to the point that it couldn't have been anything but a near-death experience, right? I mean, he basically disproves every scientific medical argument for how it could have been the brain. And you can read a book like that and still not believe because belief is different. Faith and belief is different than knowingness. And I don't mean to discount faith or belief because it's very important. Most of us need hope. All of us need hope. All of us need faith. We all need to believe in something. We all need something to get us, to help us move forward. But there's knowingness when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our, our essence, who we are as a spiritual being. There's a knowingness that happens 
when you experience something versus when you're either reliving or reading or hearing somebody else's experience or account. And, and I think that's why, you know, when you have those experiences, when you have those spiritually transformative experiences yourself and you're conscious enough to stop and you're aware enough to stop and recognize it and allow it to really process what's happening and really integrate it into your, into your essence. When you have an experience like that, you, there's no, there's no need for faith anymore because you know, right? You know, and there's no way to explain that to anybody else, but how do you really know? Well, I just know. Yeah, but what evidence do you have? The evidence is right here, okay? This is where every bit of knowledge is. It's not here, it's here. And I know it. I know it's realer than anything that's here on this planet and this dimension. And it probably sounds real hippy-dippy, to a lot of my normie friends and your normie friends and everyone's normie friends who might be watching this right now, but it's the absolute truth. Thank you for sharing that. And anybody listening audibly, it's Adam was pointing to his head and his heart when he was saying, it's not here, it's here. Yes. <laughs> it's, that knowingness <laughs> is inside of our, yeah, our heart center for sure. And, you know, so I think about this often because I come across a lot of people that say, well, I haven't had a spiritual experience. So how do I, how do I even get faith? How do I even get belief? I, you know, I don't think that it has to be some super transformative, you're on the verge of death or you're in the pit of despair, yep. transformative experience. You can pull on anything, you yeah. know, uh, number one, you can pull on the experience of another person and you can develop a faith and an, an, even if you if you can't convince yourself that it's a knowing, you can at least believe that that person believes that they have a knowing, mm -hmm. you know, and I think for me, I have to pull on that sometimes, even with the fact that I have deep internal knowings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of my one of my most profound knowings in my life, and I never say belief, I always say knowing is I have a deep, profound knowing in the pre-birth life plan. You know, like I truly believe that we plan our lives before we come to earth. And that knowing for me has completely transformed my life. And mm -hmm. I have that knowing because of the fact that I had a spiritual experience where I saw my pre-birth plan. But even if I didn't have my spiritual experience and I just happened upon this information and there is information out there, Adam just talked about it. Uh, Robert Schwartz, Michael Newton, you know, these are like the grandfathers of research when it comes to pre-birth planning. So even if I just happened upon one of their books, I would adopt this as a belief, even if I didn't have it as a knowing immediately, because Absolutely. for me, it's transformed my life. It gives me this power of being a co-creator instead of being a victim. So what do you think about how do you transform a belief into a knowing? What do you think? Are there, are there steps that a person can take? Yeah. I, so the biggest, the biggest step for me, I think is to get rid of expectations of what a spiritually transformative experience should be. And I, and I liked what you just said about, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, something painful or you're suffering or anything like that. You know, the most, what the one thing that spirituality 
has taught me in life is that mystical around us all the time. You don't have to go into uh, a psychedelic medicine or meditation or hypno to experience it. You just have to be aware, right? Like Buddha was under the Bodhi tree, right? And had this, and I think Betty, you know, to give an example, probably the, the most profound spiritually transformative experience I ever had was at about 16 weeks. No, it was eight weeks, I think. I don't remember. Uh, but let me let me take a step back. When my daughter uh, was, uh, before my daughter was born, you know, you have the first uh, ultrasound where you can see the baby. And I, and, 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 and so the doctor put the little thing over the heart and you could hear the boom, 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 boom. And you could see her little hands and her little eyes. And I just, I just lost it. I just, I'd never felt love that intense. I cried, I cried and cried and cried. I was like so touched in a way that I can't, I've never experienced, you know, like even still to this day, it was the most beautiful, powerful, loving experience of feeling an emotion I'd never had <clears throat> that deeply. And it really made me look at everything differently. And even just watching her grow up, you know, you see her get a cut you know, like she scratched, she had a little bit of a long nail and she scratched her face and she had a little cut. And the next day it's gone. It's like, how did that happen? And I'm sure there's some medical mumbo jumbo that will explain it, which is fine because explanations ruin everything. It, explanations ruin the mystical, but you just see a, a wound heal. Um, you think about the fact that we're human beings are eight octillion atoms that are 99.9999999999% space, empty space. We're 99.999% empty space, Betty. And the only reason we look solid is because the electron moves so fast, right? This is so we appear solid. That's why our desks are, this is a mystical, we're, we're, we're walking, living a mystical experience. Science will show us that this is a mystical experience, but we're so caught up in leaving our bodies and remote viewing and doing all this stuff and trying to attain this level of, of experience when it's happening all around us 24 seven. And if we can just learn to embrace the human side of spirituality. Oh my God. Like you don't need, go out in nature, go, you know, on a nice day, go sit in a field and put your feet on the grass and lie down and close your eyes and just connect. I mean, there are a lot of ways to do it. And I think the, the big, the, the, the number one step is just getting out of your head getting out of your own head about what a mystical experience should be or spiritually transformative experience should be. Wow. You just blew my mind. You are so, that was, yeah, so right on. That's amazing. You're right. The human experience is a mystical experience. Just you talking about your daughter. Hello, we cook humans inside of our bodies and then birth them out into the world. Like what? <laughs> that is a bizarre <laughs> mystical experience. That's crazy. Um, and there are, you know, like when, whenever I look at a tree and I live in New York city, so that's very sparse and like <laughs> Central Park. but when I see these big, huge trees, I just think like, wow, this was once a seed. Like this was once, you know, this tiny little thing. And now it's this big, huge, strong thing. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, that is beautiful. And I think that part of the human experience is distraction. And I think that part of the spiritual experience is finding ways to, you know, like mislead yourself from distraction, to focus on on what it is that you would like to experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think that we ha have a 
a lot of, I mean, like, I'll just talk about me. Like I have a lot of things that distract me. I keep myself like super busy and I might tell myself that they're spiritual things, that I'm being of service to other people, that I'm creating art, that I'm connecting with others. But maybe I am just like avoiding sitting still and putting my feet in the grass and and just connecting, mm-hmm. you know? And so w- what do you think are some of the tools that people can use to kind of disconnect and reconnect with the mystical? I think a, a, a big part of it is your will. Um, let me, I'll, I'll share really, uh, well, I don't know how interesting it is, but um, so before Ella, our daughter was born, uh, my wife and I were looking into adopting out of foster care and, um, and, you know, we weren't able to have our own children. So we had to go through different, different means. And so with that said, we went, we had to go through this boot camp essentially to make sure that we were, you know, we understood what we were getting ourselves into because, you know, adopting a, a child out of foster care is a huge responsibility. And um, uh, one of the, as the kids would, you know, as part of the boot camp, these kids who had been adopted out of foster came up and told their story. And so did the parents would tell their stories about what they experienced. And I just, just a hot mess crying like the whole time. And uh, the, the PhD uh, psych uh, guy who is there is basically like, if you have any childhood trauma, you need to heal that before you bring one of these kids home because, you know, anyway, moving on, I, I looked at my wife who happens to be a therapist and I said, do I have childhood trauma? And she looked at me and she's like, what do you think? And I said, I think I need to go see somebody. So I went to go see this, 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 this doctor, this psych psychologist who is brilliant. And he, on our intake, he said, okay, Adam, I want you to tell me, who are you? Tell, tell me about yourself. He's a very eccentric guy. I think he might've been from New York originally, very eccentric guy, you know? And I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a, a marketing executive. And this is back in 2017, I'm a marketing executive. And uh, I teach marketing at a university. I just wrote a book that helps kids who are in college land their first job when they get out of college. You know, uh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And he looked at me and he goes, well, why are you doing all of that, Adam? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Why am I doing that, all that? And he goes, well, why are you doing it? You're doing way too much. And I said, well, I said, you know, I guess, and I hadn't never really thought about it before. I said, I, I guess I'm just trying to stay relevant. I mean, maybe I'm afraid that if I stop doing so much, pe- people will forget about me. And he said, well, who are you? And I'm like, what do you mean, who am I? I just told you who I am. And he goes, no, you told me what you do. He said, you didn't tell me who you were. And he goes, what, 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 what wakes Adam Dintz up in the morning? And I, I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, what do you like? I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, Adam, your essence, understanding your essence is the most, it's the most important question you can answer. The, the question, who are you? It's the most important question you can answer in life. And so fast forward uh, about a month and I had gone through a, a, a mediumship reading, a uh, past life reading where I was told all these lives and I was told that I was a healer and I could do all this mystical stuff. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you're nuts. And I went like right after that to like a, it was a, it was a, a psychic fair. And I met with four other psychics who were like, yeah, you're a healer and you can do all this stuff and you need to get your life, you know, in a different way. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm a marketer. Don't, you know, I don't have time for this spiritual mumbo jumbo stuff. Right. And, um, but when we left that day, from the psychic fair, I said to my wife, I'm like, I think there's something here. Like, I really feel like there's something to what they're saying, but I don't, I didn't have any friends that were spiritual. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anybody to ask. And so I was like, well, what do spiritual people do? It's like, well, they meditate, right? Like that's what spiritual people do. They meditate. 
was like, but I don't have any time to meditate. And then I heard my psychologist voice in my mind saying, well, why are you doing all that? And I said, oh, I get it. And that week I quit every job I had except for my day job. But I quit my teaching jobs. I quit all the university I was teaching at. I stopped doing all the work on promoting my book. I just stopped all of it. And I spent a month between work, I'd come home and I'd meditate. And I learned how to, and I'm so grateful to Dr. Even Alexander's book, um, uh, 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 Seeking Heaven, because that book changed my life from a meditation perspective. But I, would, I went from never meditating to meditating 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night. And then it went up to an hour in the morning, an hour at night. And I'd love to say I still meditate that long, but my life has gotten busy again too. But Betty, what, what and I, I share that story because that space I created for meditation helped heal me of so much that was going on. It gave me so many of the answers I needed. And look at where I am today. You know, I wouldn't have been, I, won't, I wouldn't be here talking to you today, Betty, if I hadn't created that space. But I knew I needed to create that space because I was in so much pain. I was, I, 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 was in, I was all over the place and I was just spinning, spinning, spinning. And it really helped me. I knew it was kind of like when someone who, you know, you ask someone, you, you always hear people who are, who are, who are addicted to, to substances, like you hit rock bottom, right? And then you give it up. Like you have to, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom and that's what it was for me. I just had to get to a place where my life was so chaotic and all over the place that my only option was to, to, to pull back in. And so I put some things aside for a while. And I think that's what a lot of us have to do if we really want to experience, we can't constantly be distracted. And so if, if you really want to understand your essence, you have to get unbusy and you have to find time for yourself. It doesn't mean that you always have to do that. There's a season for everything. Betty, you're in a season of helping and healing, helping people heal. You, you are doing the things that you said you were doing, but you also took the time and you also did create that space before to prepare you for what you're doing now. And you're going to find later on that you're going to need space again. So you'll create that space when you need it. And then you'll go back to doing what you're doing. And that's okay. You know, it's not, it's not a constant, even the lights go off at night, right? Even the sun sets at night, but the sun's up for a while and the sun does its job. The sun doesn't go, oh, well, maybe I should set every hour because it's, you know, it's getting too hot outside. No, the sun's up for however long it needs to be up. And some months it's longer, some days it's longer, some days it's shorter. It just does what it does. So I think you're just fine, Betty. And I think, you know, in, in, in terms of everyone, anyone else who's listening that, that's like, I want to get this knowingness. If you really feel it, the core of your being, take a step back, just create some space and really just pay attention. So let me ask you a question about knowingness and exercising the spiritual principle of open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if you know something, probably doesn't leave, leave a lot of room to have a new interpretation. Do you think that those things can't go together or do you think that they do go together? Uh, the reason why I'm thinking about it is because I know some people who think that they know some stuff. Mm -hmm. But I know something different, but maybe their knowing is right and my knowing is wrong. And so, yeah, maybe let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I use the word knowingness and not knowing. Right? I mean, I shouldn't say that. I have used the word knowing, but I like the word knowingness better. It's because no means knowledge and none of us have any, none of us know anything. Right. Um, I can't remember who it was who said, you know, the moment that you feel like you have all the answers, you need to start asking questions again. Right. It was something like that. I can't remember where that quote came from, but it's true. You know, it's kind of like, uh, was it Alan Watts says your guru is not the truth. 
your guru is a window that points to the truth, right? And and so I think when we talk about knowingness, it's sort of just this ineffable, sacred, and I don't have the words for it, right? But it's kind of like you just know. If you ever meet someone and you get a bad feeling about them, right? There's like this knowingness. You don't know what's up, right? But there's just this feeling of like, oh, you just feel it, right? And that's why I pointed to the heart earlier and not the head. Because in the head, if you think you have the answers in your head, good luck. Um, because the only answers you have are what your brain is capable of understanding, which is almost nothing. I mean, if if you look at a dog, right? A dog can see how many colors that we can't see because they, they just observe and they can hear sounds that we can't hear because they, they just operate on different frequencies. But we think we hear and see everything. And just because we can't see a color a dog believes, I mean, what if, what if we saw all kinds of colors that a dog saw? Would we even believe that they existed or would we say this is all made up? It's AI, right? Like, oh, this is, this is nonsense, right? But that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I feel like the knowingness is just I think the knowingness is an openness in a lot of ways. It's an openness to say, I know what's here and I know what I feel, but I'm also open to knowing and experiencing more. And what I found oftentimes in the journey on the path is that we're given truths, and I'll put that in quotation marks with my fingers, the Dr. Evil uh, quotation marks. They're truths, right? But they're truths that I think as you get further down the path, you start to see where truths for that moment until you get to a deeper truth. And then you get to that deeper truth and there's even more depth to go. And when you think you've gotten as far as you can get, you realize this is just the opening. This is just the starting line. There is, you don't get anywhere. There's nowhere to go. There is no distance. There is nothing like that. And so that's why I just, and I say that, as though I know what I'm talking about. And I'll just say I could be completely wrong here too, right? Because <laughs> we don't know anything, but that's just been my experience. I love that. And, you know, I think another thing to keep in mind is like, does this make me happy? Does this bring me joy? Does this allow me to express joy to other people? You know, I feel like some people can be very condemning in their like, quote unquote, knowing they're knowing this, you know? Um, and yeah, the way that you're describing it is joyful and yeah, aligned with serenity and peace and yeah, expressing joy. So yeah, to me that, that always seems like something good, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I love the humbleness, like, Hey, and I might be wrong about everything, you know? I mean, we are living in a simulation. So like, does any of it actually matter? Well, Betty, you know, I'll, I'll just share this one example. You know, when I converted to Christianity at 16 or 17, the day that I converted, when I was sitting in that pew in the church, I did feel what I believe the Holy Spirit to be coming into my life, okay? Like I had a physical reaction to it. And there was a knowingness at that moment that I had been saved, that the Holy Spirit was living inside of me and, and nobody could tell me any different because I knew. And I quit smoking cigarettes that day. I quit all my bad habits that day. I became a whole new person that day. I didn't even try. Didn't even try. It just changed right? That was a real experience. Now, when I left the church and I started going out on my own, I shouldn't say going out on my own, started investigating other things. Later on down the road, I discovered Jesus in a whole new way. Um, as more of a guide, as more of a, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but when I asked Jesus why I had to go through that whole period, I, 
of, of, of Christianity, he basically told me, so you could, so you could accept me in your life as this now, you wouldn't have been able to do that before. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Cause I come from a Jewish family. So of course, if I saw you in a, in a, in a, in a journey or hypno journey or whatever it is, I wouldn't have known what to do with that. And wow. so it was that truth at the moment that led me to an even deeper truth. Right. And when I was a Christian, I spoke in tongues. Now in this arena, we call it light language. It's the same stinking thing, but we're so married to words and that destroys our open. And that's what can kill us. That's what can kill that openness, Betty, is just we, like you said, we create these rules. We create this framework of the way we have to live, right? Because of what we're taught and the conditioning. And we're all talking about the same thing, but we're disagreeing about who's right. It's the most asinine thing. <laughs> It's so wild. It really is. We, and I think that that's part of the journey too. Like that's alchemy, you know, yes. like going from one thing and then transforming into another. And it wouldn't be much of a transformation if we didn't go from, you know, like dual end to dual end. Uh, and then it just continues, you know, I'm so grateful for your willingness to come and chat today. I just want to see if there's anything else that you want to share to feel more complete about our time together. Yeah. So uh, the one thing I close with is, you know, if you've listened to this conversation and you're feeling like there's something that you need to do, right? Just know you're whole as you are. You're exactly where you're supposed to be at this moment. You're not lacking anything, whether you have a knowingness or not. Nobody's ahead of another. We're all right where we're supposed to be. And so just know that's who you are. You are the universe. You are it. You lack nothing and, uh, and you're loved. And, um, I, 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 that's it. <laughs> I love that. That's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for your time. All of your links will be in the liner notes of this episode so people can get a hold of you. And yeah, I love you tremendously. Thank love you, you too. so much for your service. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.